So today we've got a special treat. Uh, we've got pastors in from Louisiana, and uh, they're going to be ministering today. They've been friends of mine for years. Uh, Pastor Glenn and Miss Belinda, he's, Pastor, Pastor Glenn is one of our church's overseers. So if I am in trouble or if I need help or if I don't know what to do with you, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, but he helps me. He gives me wisdom with, with just different things spiritually, financially. Also in the house is Miss Shirley Keene. She's one of our overseers. She's been in ministry for years and years. And, uh, it, you know, so I, I have people, they call me and I call them. And Pastor Glenn has turned his church over to Paul and Casey, and uh, they've grown from one location, standing on Pastor Glenn's shoulders, to three locations. And uh, they're reaching uh, uh, just about uh, probably 70 miles up and down the west side of Louisiana uh, with different locations. But Pastor Glenn, will you come up and greet the people? Good morning, everyone. Boy, it's sure good to be here. It's 110 or 150 at our house right now, so we're glad to be here. But no, we're glad to be here because all of your smiling faces. You know, I was just sitting over there at some moment thinking about what am I going to say when I get up there? And you know what? This overwhelming thought come how much the love of God is to us, for us, and through us, and how many years that that love is permeating and just got bigger and stronger. You know, we have such history here with all many, many, many of you, and, and, and it's so good to see all of you. But I tell you, it's so good to see all the new faces as well. And we're just excited about that, excited about the future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the earth and being a part of what God's doing in this, in this hour. So excited to see what Pastor Brett and Lisa and all the team, you know, it takes a team. It's an effort. You know, the saying is uh, that uh, uh, it's, what's the saying? I forgot. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, the team makes the dream work. Amen? I almost forgot. <laughs> you know, we're getting a little older here. But anyway, it, but it takes all of us working together. This weekend has been a powerful ministry. It was not just a ladies' day. It was a ministry. And all of you ladies did such an awesome job. And, and we got to sit in and listen to Miss Casey. And, of course, man, she was, I mean, she was awesome. She did such a good job. Will you give her a great big hand? Pastor Paul's fixing to come up and minister. And, man, he's one of the best preachers I know. And we've been together for a long time. Me and him's been together for a long time. They're my sons in the faith, and I'm so proud of them. And I know that you're so proud of them. But the big thing is, is know that we're family. We're not just friends. We're family. We love each other. We, we work together. We serve together. We cry together. We laugh together. We enjoy each other. Amen? And, and, and that's what keeps this church going and growing. And, I, you know, I love to tell funnies when I come up and preach, and I'm not going to preach. He told me I can have 45 minutes, but I said, no way. I'm just playing. But since it's so hot at home and so cool here, this is just a little funny. It says, it's so dry in Texas that the Baptists are sprinkling, the Methodists are using wet wipes, the Presbyterians are passing out rain checks, and the Catholics are praying that the wine will turn back to water. <laughs> Y'all give him a hand clap. He's a blessing of the Lord. So come on, Paul. I'm going to turn it over to Paul now and just let him come and share. Uh, he is a blessing to us. When Pastor Glenn said, we're family, and I hope that's what you feel when you come to our church, that church is family. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all give it up for Pastor Brett. And I, uh, I wanted to just, um, of course, honor the, the, the crew that we're with and, and uh, that we aren't just with this weekend, but do life with. And as Pastor Glenn said, we've been together for a long time. Pastor Glenn is my pastor, Miss Belinda. They're our pastors. And, um, and even though there's been transition in leadership at the church, they're still our pastors. And um, we couldn't do it without the strength and the wisdom and the encouragement. They're our biggest fans. 
even whenever I'm bombed, he's the loudest encourager and, uh, and always lifting us up and cheering us on. And, and uh, I'm telling you, that's what the body of Christ should look like, right? That's, that's what makes really the, the future so bright is when people um, aren't done, but they transition not only to just pioneering, but now cheering on the next generation to pioneer things. And, and this couple right here is really the epitome of that in the body of Christ, not just for us, but for so many other people. And, um, and it's a privilege to be able to be here um, in Withville with all of us together. And uh, th- this is the sweet spot of, of the privilege of what, there's a lot of hard things that we do in ministry, but the sweet spot is the relationships, and it's the family, and it's, the, it's all of the, the laughter and the prayer and all the encouragement that goes on. And so Pastor Glenn and Miss Belinda are generals in the faith, and I just honor them and, and just a privilege to be here. Will y'all give it up for them? They're just amazing. Um, and then, of course, want to honor uh, my beautiful bride, uh, Casey, man. I got to slip in on the back row and and uh, I didn't want to shout too loud because my voice is a little lower than everybody else that was in here. And But I was just so excited and stirred up and was choked up and just the tears and the anointing. There was an impartation yesterday, and, and, uh, and, and I hope that the ladies that were here really caught that, that there was some great information, but there was an impartation yesterday of hope and, and worth and value and encouragement and I just love my beautiful, she's an incredible mom, and just, uh, we've got three beautiful kids, um, and, uh, and they're getting older, um, and uh, we've got a, 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 a young man who's getting ready to graduate college, and we've got one just starting college, and we've got another that's uh, the baby, who will always be the baby, and the mama's boy, who uh, is right in the middle of high school um, playing football. He's about 6'2", and uh, he's not even really grown yet, like he, he's... He's going to be a beast. He's 6'2", 240. Um, we call him uh, Brady Paul, and uh, he's our football player, and he, and, and, um, but they're back home. And, uh, but she's just an amazing wife, amazing mom, amazing preacher. Will you all give it up for, for her again? And, and then the last thing I wanted to do is I just wanted to really just acknowledge this special relationship that we have with Pastor Brett and, uh, and Lisa and I know you guys know that they're phenomenal pastors, and, and, uh, and, and that's really, they are pure shepherds, um, and they're the, one of the most authentic people you'll ever meet. Um, when they say they love people, they love people. They, they, they go beyond what most will do because of their heart for Jesus and for people, and those are the kind of people that I like to be around. They make us better. They realign our hearts and help us think straight because of their consistency and faithfulness over the years of both serving underneath a pastor, but now pastoring, just their love for people and steadiness has just been inspiring. And, um, and there, um, uh, Pastor Brett is one of the overseers over Casey and I, and our ministry is on our board, and, um, and we talk all the time. We call and, and, uh, and, and always uh, try to submit things to them and get encouragement. But one of the things that we always get is faith. And, uh, and that's what I love is not only do we get, you know, practical wisdom, but by the time we're done, I feel like I can, I can conquer anything. And those are the kind of people that we love to have around us, but that's the way that he leads and the way that he believes is he's a man of faith. And Pastor Brett, we love you. Miss Lisa, I don't know where you're at. I'm sure you're hiding, serving somewhere, but we love you guys and your family and your team and this church and the team and the people that are serving and doing amazing things here is absolutely amazing to see. And it's just the beginning. God's getting ready to do even more things because, you know what, he's all about expanding the kingdom. And he's not a God that shrinks back. He's a God that moves forward. He doesn't look back. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't get smaller. He doesn't, he doesn't subtract. He multiplies. And he is multiplying and doing things in the kingdom. And I believe that he's using this church in a powerful way. Will y'all, will y'all just give it up for Pastor Brett and Lisa and the team? Um, like he said, we're, we are um, uh, in a really fun season right now of expansion, and uh, fun is one word to call it, and, uh, but it is, it's been great, and, uh, but the Lord really laid on our heart to carry the vision of Pastor Glenn and Miss Belinda 
even into more um, uh, more methods and more things that God wanted to do. They dropped in our heart, and we've always been a church planning church, and um, have always been a church that's put pastors in places of leadership and oversight and and reaching communities. And now we actually have three Living Word Church campuses that we oversee and that we partner with campus pastors and communities and what God's doing. And in one of the campuses in Stonewall, one of the new campuses, we're actually in the middle of a $5 million building project. And uh, yeah, and and so uh, I say that because I just want to rally your faith uh, to believe God with us that, you know what, that the resources are going to come in and that um, God's going to continue to bless and do amazing things in our Stonewall community there, and, uh, and that, the, that it's going to fill up. Where we're at is already full. We're in a storefront, and uh, we're already at two services, and we're at our capacity. We can't do anything else there, and so we're building a beautiful building right across the street on land that people told us we'd never be able to purchase, and we're able to pay cash for it and purchase it and start building a building there. It's almost done. We're going to be moving in somewhere around November and have a big grand opening. But God's filling up the house, and um, he's doing amazing things. And so I just ask you guys to partner with us. Pray when you think about us and you see uh, different things on Facebook and social media, just stop for a moment and just pray over us. Pray over the church. Pray over our leadership, over the resources, over the people. Amen. Beginning of this year, the Lord spoke to my heart, um, really our staff, we got away for about a week um, up in Branson and, and just uh, got away from all the things going on back home and just wanted to pray and spend time together and just um, uh, see what the Lord had to say about the, the, the year that was coming up. And um, one of the things that really felt like the Lord put on my heart um, was this word vital, this word vital, and um, really just began to unpack what I felt like and feel like was going to be for our local church, our body, a direction of focus for the year, that everything that we do is really going to revolve around making sure that we, that we, that we, it, 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 it centered around this focus that the Lord put in our heart for the year. And, um, and, and I, I, if you don't know me, which many of you don't, some of you do know, I, I love to run. I'm a runner. Um, I, I ran a marathon this past November. I know it don't look like it, but I love to run. And, uh, and so, um, but I ran a marathon this past November um, and, and uh, plan on running some more and, and just love endurance. It's just a challenge to me. I just love that. I've always been a runner. And, um, but the Lord showed me, he was just kind of unpacking this idea of the things that are vital to me. And, uh, and as I was praying, I could just really see myself on a treadmill in a gym running. And, um, and he said, you know, he said running is profitable. You know, exercise is profitable to the body, but it's not vital. Like there's some things that are beneficial, and there's some things that are profitable, but there's only some things that are really vital that that if without the vital, then life ceases to exist. He said, you can run on a treadmill, but if you had no oxygen, running on a treadmill does you no good, right? Oxygen is vital. Running on a treadmill is not. Even though there's things that can be beneficial, and, and the reason why I say this is because he began to show me that even within the church world, that there's a lot of things that are beneficial in the church. There's a lot of things that we should do. We, we should do children's ministry, and we should do outreach, and we should do lots of things by the direction of the Holy Spirit that's all beneficial and profitable. But if you leave out what's vital, those things are just dead works. They have no life in them. It's just busyness. It really is not producing anything that's full of life in the effort because the very things that are vital have been ignored. And he just really began to deal with my heart about three things for us that he wanted us to make sure were a focus. I don't believe just for this year. I think really just making sure that it began to be at the forefront, that as we were busy doing things and as we were focusing on things, that these had to be preeminent. These three things had to become a focus point for us because if, if we ignored these, then all of those things would just be busy dead works. 
They'd have no life. They'd have no real transformation. They'd have no real life of God moving and changing lives. And, and let's just be honest, the church, really not this church, but the church has been busy doing a lot of things to run after the needs of humanity, but have left out a lot of things that are vital. And because of that, it hasn't been satisfying to those that have come looking. And, and for us, the three things that the Lord really put on our heart was that we've got to make sure that we focus on our relationship with God's Spirit, that we focus on our relationship with God's Word, and that we focus on our relationship with God's people. These three things for us, we're going to set up the year, that everything that we teach and everything that we preach and everything that we do was going to come back to not just knowing about God, but knowing Him. Having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is God here now, present, who is the one that represents um, uh, everything that God is, that he wants to be in our life, we receive through the Holy Spirit who's present. When we get born again, he fills up our lives and he comes in and he fills us but also walks with us. And But how many of us go through life without any acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit? No real relationship communing with God that we know he's there and we know about God, but I don't know that I really know him. There's a lot of religious people that know a lot of things about God, but I don't know how many really know him, that know his character, that know the tone of his voice, that, known his, that know his heart and passion for you and for me. We get confused about things going on in, in our lives, and we, we sometimes have a hard time seeing God in it because we don't really know him. We just know about him. God wants to reveal himself to us, not just in a religious way, but he wants, to, he wants to have an intimate relationship with us, and it is vital. Without that, everything we do is lifeless. And how many of you know that God's word's pretty important? I mean, God's word is it's critical. And, and, and it's amazing, though, especially, I would say, in our Western church world that we put a lot of focus on other things in the church, but really God's Word sometimes in our lives takes a back seat, and I've been guilty sometimes of maybe it not being where it should be in my life, but without the life of God's Word and the truth of God's Word and the authority of God's Word working in me, then even the very things that I do for God have no life because I'm not feeding on the very life of God, and that's his word. And then the last thing that I really feel like a lot of us miss out on that we don't really understand how critical it is is our relationship with God's people. God's people. You know, everything that God wants to do in us and through us is always connected to people. It's always connected to people, and we live kind of in a world where um, many of us maybe have had bad experiences around God's people. Come on, it's been messy, right? There's been drama, there's been hurt, there's been pain, there's been things that have happened around relationships with God's people, and if we're not careful, we'll actually turn our back on that and just say, you know what, I'm fine, really just me and the Lord, it's just me and him, we, we got this. But I just want to encourage you that even though there's been bad experiences and there are people that don't represent Christ well even within the church because we're all broken people, we're all human, that God's design is still the same and he desires for us to find life with each other. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Ephesians 3.20. It says, Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. Not me. Now, I know he's working in me, but that passage isn't talking about a Holy Spirit that's just working in me. It's us. Come on, the exceedingly, the abundantly, the above all begins to happen when we connect to an us. Come on, to really see the life of God move in a community, it's because it's where the body of Christ is connecting to an us. It's not just about me. It's about we, right? And there, it's vital. It is absolutely vital to the body of Christ 
that we rally around those three things. And so today I just wanted to just mention a couple of things that we see in the, in the Bible that the Lord showed us through metaphors of the relationship that we have with each other, but also to Jesus. And I don't know if you've really ever thought about this. We've taught it. We've preached it. This is the first time that I've actually taken a Sunday and just kind of unpacked these three things this way, but it was really on my heart to do. It's been on my heart to do for a little while, and I felt like I had permission to, to, to step over into this today and talk about it a little bit from the Lord. But you know, there's three metaphors in the Bible that describe Jesus' relationship to the church and our relationship to each other. And I, I want to unpack those. The first one that we find or that we see is that the church is called a body. The church is called a body. And I know this is really simple, but I just want you to, to just track with me for a second. The church is called a body, but there's a relationship that Jesus has with the body, and it's the head. And one of the things that I really felt like the Lord stirred in my heart was that the, the, if we're going to be a body and we're going to be the body of Christ, then Jesus has to be the head. And, and what, if we're not careful, though, we'll replace that and we'll put something else in the headship of even the church that is the fullness of God, the body of, of Christ. And I think part of returning back to the things that are vital is making sure that both individually as a part of the church, but also corporately that Jesus is the head. And the head represents the authority of God. Come on, it represents direction. It represents the preeminence that everything comes from the head. You know, in a, in a body, a natural body, if there's body parts that quit responding to signals from the head, we call that paralysis. And you want to paralyze the body of Christ, then quit responding to the head. Quit being led by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Quit being led by His uh, his desire for you or for your community or for your family and put the brakes on for a moment. And when we do that, though, it paralyzes us from really being able to have an effect in the community that we're called to have an effect in or the people. And it's what I love about this church. It's what I love about Pastor Brett is I know that he's not leading this church in a way that is not reflective of the head the, the, that comes from Jesus, that the directives and the, because here's the thing, you can compare yourself to lots of other Christians, you can compare yourself to lots of other churches, you can, you can say we ought to be doing this and we ought to be doing that. No, we ought to be doing what the head says we should be doing. Because it's the head that determines what the body should be doing, the direction, the focus, the emotions, the will comes from the head. Not from man's opinion, not from, not from politics, not just from needs, not just from issues. It is the head that determines. And when the body submits to the head, that's when you really begin to see the power. You know, one of the issues in the church and in our, in our lives sometimes is we want the power, but we don't want submission. We want all the benefits that come with the power of God, the, the favor of God, the love of God, and all the things that come from the head, but we don't want the head. We don't want the other things that come with that, like surrender and sacrifice and submission, and, and, and that life isn't just all about me, but it's about the bigger picture, that Christ has a plan, and it does involve me, and how precious is that, that I get to play a part in that, but the reality is that that also comes with a surrender and a submission to the directives and the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's no worse place to be than outside of the obedience of God's word and direction in my life. You lose your peace, you lose your power, you lose your fight. Come on, you lose your, 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 your passion. You begin to get isolated. You begin to listen to the voices of the enemy. But when he's the head, he's the protector. Come on, he's the one that is, that is leading me in a place that brings favor and that leads to breakthrough and leads to triumph. And, and, and I begin to believe, you know what, he, he, is, he is guiding me and he is leading me and he is doing amazing things in my life. I love what it says in Colossians 2. It says, let no one cheat you, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, 
vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. One translation says, losing connection to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that is from God. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. James 4.7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. We want the enemy to leave us alone, but we won't submit. Come on, we're praying over our family, and we're, we're, we're wanting breakthroughs in areas of our life, but I'm telling you, one of the key places that we find that is not just in our striving or in our fasting or more praying. You can fast all day long and pray all day long, but if I'm not submitted to the head, if there's no surrender to the head of Christ, to to Jesus in my life, then those are futile. Remember, it's about what's vital. There is no life in religious activity if it doesn't come from surrender to the head. Well, the enemy doesn't flee just because I say things. The enemy flees because my heart is surrendered to the king of kings. And when I say that, I say it with conviction. When I speak to the enemy over my family, it comes from a place of surrender and submission to the king, and he knows that he's in trouble and he's defeated. But see, there's a lot of Christians that want to say spiritual talk and act like Christians and say all the Christian things, but our hearts have not been rendered and submitted to the king, to the head of the church. And it can happen individually, but it can also happen corporately. You can see churches lose their power simply because they've lost the submission. Would rather have man's philosophy. See, part of what this passage of Scripture was talking about is it was appealing to people who have begun to put more faith in the philosophy of men in the mythology of Greek gods and paganism, in Gnosticism that said that there was some mental ascent that brought you spiritual enlightenment, that got you closer to God, all of these weird things. But how many of you know we live in a weird time where people are deconstructing faith and they're trying to come up with all these fresh revelations of of spiritual things, but it has left out the most crucial thing, and that is Jesus, the head. We want to compromise the standards, and we want to set new standards because we want to explain away. People are trying to explain away the supernatural and explain away the things that we just can't even understand because God is God, and he doesn't fit within our finite mind. That's why we've just got to submit. How many of you know that sometimes it's hard to submit to things or to an idea whenever you don't fully understand? I remember there's times growing up that Pastor Glenn would tell me things, and didn't agree with it. Anybody ever had that happen in your life before? Come on. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's ever walked through life and thought somebody said something. A coach, a teacher, a pastor. But you know what? That's where I've got to just trust. And I know that there can be abuse in those things and I know there's a balance here, and I, want to, I know there's wounds there, and I don't want to open those things up. I know people have abused that place. You know, authority, and especially the authority of Jesus, is not a dictatorship. Jesus does not dominate. He doesn't push. He leads. It don't operate out of pressure. It operates out of peace. And that's why it's healthy to find godly leaders who are also the greatest servant leaders who aren't operating out of a dictatorship, and it's not about them, but it's constantly about Jesus. And when you find one of those leaders in your life, it's easy to submit when they say the chair is blue, but you think it's green. You say, okay, I don't believe it, but I'm going to call it blue because you said it's blue. And you know what I decided in my life is even in that scenario and different things, there was very few times, but there might have been times where it was, you know, and I always said, Lord, that's between you and him. He's the leader in my life. If he's wrong, that's between you and him, but I'm honoring that person. And I believe that you see that and you know that I'm submitted. And whenever I do that, you'll bless it regardless. Sometimes it's hard 
to submit we don't understand. I remember when I was training for the marathon, and I had a coach that was helping me, and he gave me a running plan that I violated. Because I was like, I'm further along than that. I don't need to do that. I, I can run that faster. I can go more miles than that. And I was proud. I was like, look at me. I'm ahead of the game. But he gave me a running plan because he knew the wear and tear that would be on my body. And it wouldn't take but a few weeks of violating what he asked me to do to find out that's not healthy for my body. It's amazing how sometimes we think we know best. What I love about the body and especially our place in the body is over and over again the passage of Scripture tell us that God set the members in the body where he pleased. That it's in his authority that he gave us a place but when we embrace that place, that's where we find grace. When we rebel against that place and that, that, that connection, that's where life gets a little bit more difficult, especially in the church world. It just seems to not be flowing. But when we embrace the place that God has put us in, we find the grace in what he's called us to do. And the church becomes a beautiful, healthy, powerful place that changes lives and expands the kingdom. Amen? The second metaphor that we see is that the church is a building. The church is a building. So the church is a body, which means I have a place. I'm a member of that, but Jesus is the head, and I'm surrendered and submitted to that. But how many of you know that the church is also a building, and Jesus also plays a role in the building? The prophets prophesied about who Jesus would be in the building of the church, and they said he would be the cornerstone. And he would be the stone that the people would reject, but God chose. The cornerstone. I got to thinking about that, and um, like I said, many of you don't know me, but if you did, you'd know I'm, I'm not very mechanical. I'm not a great carpenter. I'm definitely not a plumber. I've had some, some, uh, some mishaps. Matter of fact, I'm not even allowed to touch plumbing anymore. Like, so I had to do a little research about the cornerstone, and I, I know enough about building that the foundation is super important. I know that the foundation is not the most beautiful thing. The foundation is not the most talked about. You don't walk into a house and go, wow, such a beautiful foundation. It's just amazing the work that they did. It's just, it's just incredible. No, we walk in and we see all the things that are built and the, the walls and the paint colors and the pictures and the roof line and the, the cool little touches in the kitchen and the island and the bar, whatever it is. We walk in and we're impressed by all these things, but can I tell you the most important part is the foundation because all of those things are resting on the foundation. And if we get that wrong, then all of that can look beautiful, but if the right circumstances happen and the, the right amount of weight or pressure or wind or storm or whatever happens, then all of that can actually become worthless because the foundation is not accurate. And the cornerstone was the stone, number one, that was laid first. And it speaks to the priority of Jesus. So not only are we submitted to the authority of Jesus as the head of the body, but I want you to know that he also represents the priority of our life. The cornerstone is first. Without the cornerstone being right, then there was no way to tell whether or not the walls would be straight or that the foundation would be level. The cornerstone represented both vertical alignment but also a horizontal levelness and strength to the foundation, but it had to be first. And so that contractor would look through all the stones and would look at all of the, 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 the stones that were available and find the perfect stone that would be both level for the foundation but also square to build the walls off of. And so when it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone and us being the building once again, we have a place. Peter says we're living stones being built up into this holy temple. But Jesus is first. He's priority. And I appeal to us, to the church, 
to get back to the vitalness of Jesus being number one. Not fitting him into the stones and fitting him into a place so I can say that he's a part, but he is preeminent. That he's not just a brick, he's the cornerstone. He's not just a part of my life, but my life and the standards of my life are built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And the promise is, is that if he has that place in my life and in the church, then the church can handle anything, any weight, any storm, any wind, anything that would come, right? The wise man built his house on the sand, I mean, on the, on the rock, so that as the storms comes, not when, but not if, but when the storms come, I might feel a shaking, I might feel the storm and the wind, but there can be a confidence in my life that, Jesus, you know that you are the priority of my life, and you are the standard. I love the old prophets, they talk about a plumb line. In Amos, it says in verse chapter 7 and verse 7 that God said, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people. And what he was saying is, is that the people have been using self-righteousness as their plumb line, but that hasn't gotten them anywhere. The walls are still crooked. And that's one of the things that was really stirring in my heart. It's not just about a sinful life, but many times we'll even use our own self-righteousness to try to line up the walls of our life. If I go to church enough, if I pray enough, if I read enough Scripture, if I fast enough, if I do enough of this and that, then the walls will finally get straight. Can I tell you the walls won't get straight until Jesus straightens them up? That in my own efforts and in my own striving, the walls won't ever be straight. The walls aren't straight because we're spiritual enough. The walls are straight because of his righteousness, because of his faithfulness, and I just need to rest on that foundation. But a lot of the church world and religion, we've tried to build houses that represent the kingdom, but we've built it on self-righteousness. We've built it on performance. We've built it on works. We've built it on everything but Christ. And self-righteousness won't stand the test of time. It'll crumble every time. Why? Because I'm not righteous enough. The standard is not me. It's him. The standard is not any denomination. The standard is not any great revelation. The standard is not comparison to someone else's holiness. The standard of which I build my life is the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the plumb line of my life. You know, I've got a, a house that we moved into about 10 years ago. It was a new home. We didn't build it. It was a spec home. We moved into it. And um, one of the things that uh, was left over was a pile of bricks, a, a brick home. And in the backyard, they just had a stack of bricks they didn't use. And I was out mowing one day my yard, and I was looking at those bricks, and I've used them for various things since then. They've helped fill gaps in fences so the dog wouldn't get out. They've helped weigh down things that would blow away. Like we just, whatever, hey, go grab a brick. Well, we'll use it for this or use it for that. It's the same brick that's in our house, but it's not in the house. It's just sitting off in a pile. And I was thinking one day, and the Lord was really leading my thoughts through this, and I was like, you know, if somebody came and took one of these bricks out of the pile, I just, I really wouldn't care. I wouldn't call the police, you know. They're like, huh, someone took a brick out of the pile of bricks, right? What are they going to do with it? But if I drove up to my house and pulled into my driveway and somebody had carved one or two bricks out of the front of my house, I'd be pretty upset. I'd probably call the police and say, I got a brick thief. Somebody stole the bricks out of the front of my house. I got a hole in my house now. What's the difference in the value of the brick? Placement. And when I think about being a building, and of course Jesus is the cornerstone, one other thing I just want to convey to you today is, is that your value is precious because you're connected to the building. You're the same, we're all the same value. We've all been born again and paid for by the blood of Jesus, but 
for some reason, there's some of us that we walk in isolation and we walk in disconnection, and sometimes we wrestle with our purpose and our value and our worth, and Miss Casey did such a great job even talking about that, but I'm telling you, you really begin to find the value and the purpose and the worth whenever I get connected to other believers because now I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I don't feel like I'm just in a pile somewhere waiting for someone to use me for various things, but I have a purpose. The architect, the master designer has put me into a place that's meaningful and that holds the the building and helps bring value and beauty to the building. And I just want you to know this as we talk about small groups and connect groups and talk about life groups that that churches do and to, to build relationship and community. I want to encourage you to jump in, to not be in isolation, to not live on the outskirts, to not just try to do life by yourself. I promise you God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a place in the body that has a function, but he also has a place in the building, a living stone place that we're called to connect. But it is our connection to the other brick that brings the value out of my life. And I want to encourage you to get connected. Find your place. Jesus be number one, but find a place in the body because the building that God is building is glorious. Amen? And then the last thing that I want to mention that we see that is a metaphor for the, for the church is that we are also the bride of Christ. We're a body, we're a building, we're a bride. You know, I hear people sometimes when I'm at the gym talking about the return of Christ and all the different, I, I love the gym, I go there every morning and I love all the visits I get with all the people. And I'm always the one that gets asked all the questions. Like, hey preacher, I got a question for you. What do, you, what do you think about this going on here? And, you know, whatever it is, it's always, hey, preacher, got, got a question for you. I want to know what you got to think about this. And that's usually a setup, by the way. And um, But I heard one guy talking one day, and he was like, you know, he said, I know Jesus is getting ready to come back soon. I was like, really? How, how do you know that? He said, because of how bad the world is. He said, I, he, he's ready to come back and set things straight. And I just was grieved. And sometimes I won't say things to people. I just, you know, it's not worth it. I couldn't help it. I said, I, said, I know the world's jacked up. I, I know that there's judgment coming on the nations, but I also want to remind you that there has already been a judgment on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that Jesus isn't coming back to just judge people. He's coming back for his bride. See, there's a perception that we live under if we're not careful and we'll think that he's just ready to come back and burn everything up and start over. But I just want to remind you that you are the bride of Christ and that he loves us and he's obsessed with us and he is ready to come back. You know, if you go back and look at the Jewish marriage law and tradition, there was two stages of marriage. There was the betrothal, and that's not, it's like an engagement, but in our world, that's a watered-down word, engagement. You still got options, right? You can back out. You can send the invitation and say, no, I ain't doing that, right? It's not legal yet. But in Jewish custom, that wasn't the case. When you became betrothed, you were in covenant. It was as if you were already married. There was a commitment that was made. And I want you to know that when Jesus came the first time, he was betrothed to his bride. And he signed the contract and the covenant of his blood, and he left us with a token, the Holy Spirit, a guarantee that the groom will be back again. And what did he tell his disciples? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In Jewish custom, the groom would leave for maybe up to a year and would go and prepare a house and to get things ready for his bride. And the time of his return, no one knew the exact time. It would just come whenever there was an announcement made. And the whole time, the bride was getting prepared. She was beautifying and getting things together and, you know, and, and, and getting pretty, 
and, and wanting to, you know, be ready for the groom and always anticipating both the return, but he was excited about when the father would say, it's time, go get your bride. You've got everything ready to go. It is the right time. I want you to go and get your bride, and I want you to bring her home. See, the time that we're in right now, sometimes it can get very confusing and mistaken, and we think we're losing the battle, and we can focus so much on all the filthy, wicked things that are going on, but I want you to know that Jesus has his eyes on a prize, and it is the bride of Christ. And what makes us beautiful is not our own efforts to beautify ourselves. It is his righteousness that has beautified and prepared the, the body, the bride. There's people here today that you wrestle with your relationship with him and you feel like he's just looking for reasons to come in and punish or discipline and maybe more consumed by all of the unrighteous things that are going on in our world and forget who I am to him. We're a body, we're a building, but we're the bride. I think about the engagement with Casey. And I apologize, Pastor, but that year that we were engaged, I didn't think about work. I probably should have been working, but I was thinking about the honeymoon. I was thinking about our life together and dreaming, and I was daydreaming all the time. That's all I could think about was one day, right? And we had long distance, too, so it was even more. Like, we couldn't do a lot of things together, so it was lots of phone calling. It was like, hey, what you do? I just want to hear you breathe. I just want to hear you breathe. That's all. I just want to. I just want to hear your voice. Well, hey, what's going on? You got something? No, I just wanted to hear you, right? And I know that we have a hard time sometimes thinking about Christ in that way towards his people, but I just want you to know that he just wants to be around. He just wants to be close. The whole story of the gospel is about a God who was separated from the people that he loved. And so he stood in himself to make a way to bring them back close to him. And yet the church still runs from him. And I want to make another appeal to you today to run to him. That if you have found yourself today running from in fear, I want you to know, fear no longer, that in Jesus, you've been given permission to run to. And he wants to run to you. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. We open up our hearts and surrender for you. Just speak and share some things with us today that you want for us to take from this. And Lord, if there's any wounds, I think that you're healing. If there's any fear, I thank you that you're exposing it with the light of Jesus and expelling that. Lord, if there's, if there's anything that's, that's bringing conviction, I thank you for the boldness and the courage and the grace to make adjustments and to realign some things in our life. Lord, I thank you that you're here, you're present today, transforming us. And Lord, I thank you for the person today, Lord, who feels far away, that right now, Holy Spirit, you are drawing their heart. You are 
breaking the shackles of religion and you are drawing them into a relationship like they've never had before. I want to ask you a question. I want to pray over those today that you're here today and you've just felt really far from Jesus. Maybe you've never really surrendered. You know, we say the word saved and I'm not really sure that that's the complete accurate word. The real word is, is have you felt like you've been surrendered to the King? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe he hasn't been number one. He hasn't been the cornerstone. Maybe he hasn't really been allowed to operate as the head of your life, the lordship over our lives, and you're saying, I want to commit to that today. Or maybe you haven't felt like the bride. You felt like one that would be uninvited to the wedding. And today, you just want to make a commitment, receive the love of God, and receive the the sacrifice and the gift today that's offered to you to come close. If you want prayer today, you want to settle some things in your heart today between you and the Lord, I just want you to raise your hand. Say, that's me. Pray over me. Come on, lift them up high. everybody to pray this with me. Let's just, let's just all pray a prayer of surrender. Come on, let's just make sure we're putting him back into the place that he belongs. Just repeat this after me. Say, Lord, I love you. I surrender to you today. I believe that you paid a price for me. You redeemed me. You saved me. I believe that I'm forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. Help me do that. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Transform me. Heal me and set me free. I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen.